Hello, welcome to Syracuse Speaks, The View from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. Welcome to season four of Syracuse Speaks. So there's really not that much of a difference between seasons. I usually generally go with off seasons. Season three got a little weird because of how everything kind of worked out with COVID and the shortened time period for the season and all of that stuff. But this is season four. And I want to thank everybody who tunes in twice a month to listen to me ramble about hockey and listen to whatever guests I have on ramble about hockey. You're the ones I do this for. You're the reason why I continue to upload these episodes. And thanks so much for making this as fun as it has been over the past four seasons. I can't wait to see what the upcoming season has for us. Speaking of, today's episode has actually not one, but two guests, and it's in a little bit of a different format than usual when it comes to me having guests on. Usually, I just talk to the people, I figure it out, I invite them on, I do the recording, I do the editing. Today, I do have one guest that meets that criteria, and that is um, my buddy Matt Estevez from over at Raw Charge. I invited him on. We talked a little bit about the Lightning. We talked a lot about Tampa Cuse and the success that the organization has had on that level. But my other segment today actually involves a recording from a podcast that I was invited on to last week. So this past Friday, I was invited to Adam Denker's podcast, Locked on Lightning. And we talked, again, very similar topics to what Matt and I talked about. But obviously, instead of me asking Matt the questions, Adam asked me the questions. And so it's a little bit of a different format. Adam and I are planning on doing this partnership maybe once a month for the foreseeable future. He also writes for Field Pass Hockey, which is the blog that I blog for, and he covers the Solar Bears through his work with Field Pass Hockey. So it's kind of cool that we are sort of covering all sides of the organization right now. And this was a really fun podcast. It does have a little bit of a different feel to it. So definitely feel free to let me know what you thought about it. And I hope you enjoy listening to both segments. So I'm sitting here with uh, my buddy, Matt, from Raw Charge, and how are you doing? I'm good. How about you, Alex? I'm hanging in there. Uh, it's, it's that time August for a teacher is a little crazy, so it's starting to, to shift into back-to-school mode, so my brain's a little fried, but we're doing okay. When do you start back up? So in New York State, we start back usually after Labor Day, so for my mm-hmm. district, we start back the Tuesday after Labor Day. Okay. Yeah. School just started this week down here. Yeah. Which is very warm for you all to be already heading back to school. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Florida. Yes. Just, 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 just say the word Florida. And everyone's like, Oh, okay. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of Florida and Tampa and all things organizational. So y'all have had a pretty good two years or so. It's been pretty freaking good <laughs> it's it's most definitely um been a wild ride and it's i mean it's it's been everything you could possibly ask for i mean you always want your team to win the cup but like winning two in a row especially in this era like that doesn't happen <laughs> like there's, we're only the second team to do it so it's it's been euphoric to say the least i can i can only imagine um you know hopefully someday it'll Syracuse's turn, but in, in a, you know, kind of metaphorical way, it sort of was Syracuse's turn because quite a bit of the lightning over the past two years came through the crunch. And, you know, I think that the developmental steps that Tampa has taken have really made a difference when it comes to being able to go the distance and achieve these things, you know, not once, but two years in a row. Oh, hundred percent. Like, Tampa's two cup wins don't happen without Syracuse. I mean, for Christ's sake, we can just go down the list of names on this team that came from Syracuse. You know, I mean, Kucherov was there. Palat was there. Point was there for a very short amount of time. Sorelli was there. Stevens, before he was traded, was there. Colton was there. You know, like so many players on this team were from Syracuse. And like the Lightning aren't the Lightning without the crunch. And I know, and I know it's, it's, it's the same, but different because Syracuse is 
part of this organization, but they're not like literally the same organization to a certain extent. They are two separate things. But like Syracuse fans should be entirely happy with Tampa winning it all because I mean, it's like, I, I wouldn't say like, I guess it's your big brother, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how would you, I, I don't know how you would compare both of these organizations uh, relationship to in a familiar. So would it be like father to son or would it be like brother to brother? I have no idea, honestly, but regardless, uh, like oh, well over half of the scheme came from Syracuse, like without the crunch, this doesn't happen. Period. Yeah, I like the the big brother. I was never fully like I understand we call it a parent club and and I get why that analogy has been created, but I was never fully comfortable with the idea of like it's a dad to a kid and that's a little strange. So I like the mm-hmm. idea of big brother. I like that. Yes, especially like it's one thing if like you know Vinick Sports Group quite literally owned both the Lightning and the Crunch. You know, then you can maybe get away with like that line of thinking, but like there's two separate owners for these organizations. They're just working together, you know? So I think the brother the brother probably does work a bit better. It's probably a moot point at this point in time to really even discuss the, the kind of, you mentioned like, yeah, Syracuse is a separate organization. It's one of the few remaining independent teams in the American Hockey League because so many NHL clubs are just kind of buying up their AHL affiliates and it hasn't happened to Syracuse yet. Do you think that the two organizations have kind of reached a point now where the, their identities and the ability to kind of shift back and forth between them has kind of been fully realized? I'd say so. I, I, I would agree to that just due to the fact that the way that Syracuse plays, it's the same way that Tampa plays. And you really want that to have uh, cohesion with your players when they go between the AHL and NHL, which is why Tampa has been so good at, well, in conjunction with that and the way that the, they, that the coaching staff in the AHL and in general develops these players, it makes it a lot easier for them to come into the NHL and do what they did. You know, like no one expected Ross Colton to come in and do what he did. You know, not all by he did go on a shooting bender and was scoring a lot of goals that would make you that would make you go, okay, this is gonna cool down. But Ross Colton was still an exceptionally good player, you know. He's basically locked in to be the third line center on a two-time cup winning team. Like <laughs> that doesn't happen to just any random 24-year-old. Um, or any random, you know, hockey playing 24-year-old who has aspirations for the NHL. You like you gotta work for that and you gotta be put in the right development path. And I feel like Syracuse and Tampa are on the same page, they have the same identity. Uh, you know, I'm sure Tampa would love to have Syracuse. I'm sure Tampa would love to have their AHL team a lot closer, but they have yet to show any signs of wanting to break this relationship because it's been working so well for years. I think it would be hard still without the AHL kind of being in the southern eastern part of the United States. There's so few teams down there, and it seems mm-hmm. like the Lightning really likes the amount of playing time that and practice time that their players get with having, you know, so many teams kind of within the same geographic area up in the the Northeastern United States. So, you know, I kind of hope that they won't be too interested anytime soon, just because I don't really want to lose this affiliation. And there's so few, you know, again, independently, you know, owned teams and so few NHL affiliates who don't own their team. And I'm not sure that Syracuse would ever really sell. I don't know, but you know, so I'm kind of hoping that maybe they're not going to be that interested anytime soon. No, I doubt it. I mean, that's also why Tampa made that um, affiliation with the ECHLs Orlando solar bears um, to have that some kind of link with some of their development pieces that can't play in the AHL, whether they're not good enough or they're, they're, they're just not ready for it. They at least have that pipeline going. Um, to make it a little easier in, in, in some respects. But I mean, as long as Syracuse continues doing what they're doing, which is, you know, taking the players at a lightning draft or sign, develop them exceptionally well and keep being a good team in them themselves in Syracuse, I don't see a reason why they should ever stop the affiliation unless something happens between the ownerships, which I, I hope doesn't happen. Yeah. You mentioned Colton already. Is there a player that you've been particularly fond of as they've kind of come through their Tampa Cuse years, or is there someone that you've really enjoyed watching that kind of was an unexpected thing? How are you feeling about these players that have been through both organizations? So my favorite, so ever since I started covering the team back in 2016, 
my favorite player, he didn't go to, he didn't go to Syracuse. My favorite player to see develop throughout this entire, these past few years has been Mikhail Sergachev. Now, if we're going to go with players that have come through Syracuse, um, I don't, I see, I want to say point, but I also feel like point doesn't necessarily count because he wasn't in Syracuse that long. Yeah. It was like nine um, games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like nine games a season prior and then training camp the next season happened in 2017 and he made the team and that was the end of it. So it's it's hard to say point. Uh, the next one I would probably say, shoot, honestly. I'm really trying to think, crap. The one I'm most endeared to is Joseph. Okay. No, I'm really endeared towards Joseph. He's a great guy. I love his attitude. I love the fact that even though he's had a, he's had some up and downs, like he made he made a team that one year, um, the year where we put up, you know, we tied the Red Wings for the um, season points record and season wins, um, and then we we obviously got swept, and then he got sent back down the next year because he got a little lackadaisical. But he didn't take that as like you know he didn't take it personally. He just worked his butt off, got back into the lineup eventually. He's got his name on two cups. <laughs> So, and this last one, he most definitely made an impact. So I think Joseph is the one I'm most endeared to just because I really love his attitude. Um, it's just hard to pick though. There's just, there's too, there's too damn many. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's too many. I love them all. Joseph is kind of an interesting pick because I actually heard from a podcast that I was on recently, a lightning podcast, that Joseph was someone that Seattle was looking at. And of course we, we know that Seattle took my boy, um, my Yanni Gord, uh, my pumpkin. Yanni, uh, gone, Yanni. broke my heart. I love him. Uh, it was between. It was, I was thinking there. I was like, it's Gord or Joseph, and like I love Gord to death. But if I'm going just endearing, I would have to say Joseph. But if it goes for like pure hockey ability, I'd say Gord because God, mm-hmm. Gord, I love, I love that man. That man's a hell of a hockey player. Yeah, he is, and he's worked for it too. Mm-hmm. Like just the way that he put his career back together and put himself like he forced the lightning to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. He is literally the, him and Tyler Johnson are embodiments of hard work pays off. Yeah. Yeah. They literally went from undrafted, worked their way up, made, made the organization pay attention and they got rewarded for it. And now mm-hmm. they both have good. I wouldn't, well, okay. I would say Justin has a necessarily great contract given what he is nowadays, but they got paid. They got two cup rings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what else would you want in your hockey career? Yeah, seriously. That's it's yeah. It's definitely been amazing watching guys like that go through and develop and reach kind of these pinnacles that they've been reaching in their careers with the lightning organization. Mm-hmm. It really has felt like a, a long-term growing organization uh, for the lightning. And I know, I know, you know, and this is for everyone throughout the entire thing. I mean, Breezewall's been here since the beginning. Cooper's been in the organization since the beginning, but he was in Norfolk and then Syracuse before he came up. So it's just like, everyone's grown in mm-hmm. some capacity. Everyone has grown from the bottom and moved up. And that's one of the interesting things about this lightning organization and this team is like, they weren't just a mercenary group put together or just some core guys with some pieces thrown together. Like this was as homegrown as you could possibly get. And I think that's something that a lot of teams should take heed of is like, you can have spectacular star players, but you need guys who can fill the roster um, in ways that benefit you. And Tampa, I think is the shining example of that. And, Mm -hmm. And they did it through themselves. They didn't really throw a ton in free agency you know i mean what was their biggest i'm trying to think what what what's seriously the biggest free agent signing that the lightning has had we i I, we can't count stamkos even though that's technically a free agent signing but it really wasn't you know besides that i'm thinking what anton strawman throughout this throughout this current core like maybe anton strawman i mean i know there were some other signings you know, in the early days of this, when we made the 2011 Easter conference final, but when like we got this new core with Stan Coast, Hedman, the triplets and stuff like that, I, like, I'm really thinking like Strawman is like the biggest free agent signing I, I can think of plenty more, but nothing as big as that one price wise, at least uh, from memory. Yeah. yeah so it's, anything else. So it's really been built kind of as a, a family affair in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. 
Do you see this model being copied slowly but surely by other teams around the NHL? Absolutely, I do. Toronto's already doing it. Toronto just doesn't have the, the doesn't have the draft pieces that they've gotten over the years ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, but I think if Toronto can keep their big guys in um, and really develop their younger players in both the ECHL and the AHL, Toronto is probably going to be another example. Um, a few other teams are really starting to invest in their um, AHL teams. I think what San Diego has actually been producing some pretty decent players for Anaheim, a lot of young guys. Um, I definitely think it'll be copied. I definitely do. How long it'll take, I have no idea. Let's remember, I mean, this has been like a decade-long journey for the Lightning. So, And you could arguably say they didn't really hit the peak of the mountain until almost the very end of their window, if you really want to be like super critical about it. Um, I don't think the window's completely closed yet, but after losing you know, the entire line of players and you're, getting, and you're replacing it with the remnants of Corey Perry and young players, you know, it's, it remains to be seen how good the Lightning will be in comparison to their two cup runs. Yeah, those young guys, you know, it's it's really easy to talk about Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish and Barry Boulay. You know, we, we know about, about those players. And what do you think their chances are of making the Lightning this fall? Well, there's really only one spot left since we signed Corey Perry. I'm not a fan of the signing. I really feel like it's an overcommitment to the whole grit nonsense. We didn't win cups because of grit. We won cups because we were just better. Um, and I know that, and that Gord line that everyone talked about, which rightfully so they should have talked about because that line was fantastic. Like they kept saying that line had grit. No, that line was just better than ever. That line was just better than almost everyone else. Like they forechecked you into oblivion and the, the terminology that we use in hockey, I feel like needs to be expanded more. Like when we say grit, people automatically think of like tough and, you know, grindy, um, and forechecking forechecking isn't necessarily that forechecking is literally just making your opponents a li- life, a living hell. Mm. Like you just refuse to let them do anything without you in their face, making their life difficult. Now, does that mean you, you can hit them and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. But it's also being smart. It's also knowing what to do with the puck. And a lot of teams have this weird propensity of like signing these quote unquote grit guys who don't really do much with the puck. The thing about Gord, Coleman and Goodrow, they could all, well, maybe not so much Goodrow in comparison to Coleman and, and Gord, but that line could control everything because they were just better than you. And that's something that I think teams need to pay attention, not necessarily the grit part, but the fact that you can have your top line and you need to have two second lines, not necessarily like a checking third line. And people are calling it a checking line, but I'm like, everyone's a checking line in Tampa because they all do the same thing. Basically they, they have to carry the puck in, they occasionally dump it and they forecheck you into oblivion and then they start their cycle. That's literally what Tampa does. Um, but with, but, but you know, now that we have Perry on the team uh, and Belmar, two old guys who are slow, you know, Colton penciled in for that third line spot in the in center. You know, you've basically got one spot left on the third line, and that's if we don't trade anybody else. I mean, I know we're under the cap right now, but it's not out of the question that we might trade somebody else. But it just depends on what what player kind of fits the role that Cooper wants that Colton line to do. Um, because the easy answer would be Barry Boulay. Barry Boulay is the one who's, who has the most who has, who has the most games played out of the eight guys looking in. Uh, but Barry Boulay is a guy who needs those top six minutes. He's not a guy who's really going to give you a whole lot of value deeper in the lineup. Uh, we saw that he has flashes when he was with uh, Point and Palat during the season. There were flashes, but there were still moments where I felt like he was too weak in the puck and his release wasn't as fast as you would have liked it for the NHL. But he's learning. So you can't really blame him that much. Um, Radish and Kachuk, I mean, you would know better than I do about them. I feel like we've been waiting for these guys to show up for the past like four years now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But do you think waivers are going to cause a problem for the team this year? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> to be dead honest, probably, which is why I think uh, Jemel Smith will probably probably get one of the spots if it's too close to call mm-hmm. you put it to the guy who's who's a bit more easily movable so you don't lose one of those younger guys um so yeah waivers is gonna be a problem it's definitely gonna be a problem yeah i think like three quarters of the crunch has to go through waivers at this point in time it's i yep. know all of the new signings do which i don't think many of those will be a problem but the the triplet the trio does mm-hmm. uh yeah and, and if 
And if one of them does make it, then it's basically the coaching staff and the organization saying you're staying. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, I hope they take the approach of you need to play. We can't just sit you, yeah. you know? Um, I hope that's the case. Um, ta- I mean, Tampa has been much more forgiving with their forwards than they have their defenders. Uh, and at the, also at the same point, Tampa has not, I mean, if there's one blemish on Tampa's development, it's on the back end. They have not developed defensemen very well. Um, the only homegrown defenseman is Hedman and Hedman's been here the longest besides Kalorn and Samkos. Um, every other defender who's come up through the system just hasn't really stuck. The big hope is foot and mm-hmm. foot had a up and down rookie season, but we're hoping, excuse me. Um, he can kind of, you know, really solidify his spot this coming season, but yeah, that's, that's a blemish. <laughs> and the, and the other place I would say, I mean, obviously we know the forwards are fine. You just talked about defense. So the, the, the only position left is the goaltending position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's been, I mean, other than obviously Vasilevsky, that's been sort of a blank spot too for mm-hmm. a couple of seasons. Well, they, I mean, you can blame the lightning for trading Ingram for some random, I, I know there's whispers behind the scenes. I know as we've talked about this, but like Ingram was supposed to be like that stopgap guy. And then we traded him. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, we have no goalies. It's funny how that works. I, I, know. <laughs> I know. So with, with, with the younger goalies we have coming in, Al Mafel and a few others, hopefully those guys can shore up the, the, Baron Wasteland that is goaltender in the Lightning organizational tree. Um, so guys like, you know, McElhaney, well, McElhaney's gone now, but, you know, if McElhaney's your backup, I mean, for a while there it was fine, but last year he was really kind of showing his age. Gibson, we don't want to talk about Gibson at the NHL level. I don't know how Gibson was in the AHL, but he was, he was there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah, the just, NHL. Yeah, about the same, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been very interesting watching the carousel of you know posit of of players come through at goalie and and just having Bavaleski just kind of be here and he's the one stalwart and everybody else is just it's it's really just a rotation in and out. Yeah, I mean our entire goaltending pool when we drafted him was Vasilevsky and Guzlevskis. Guzlevskis did not pan out sadly. Oh, I mean, I, have- I mean. I, I have opinions on that and we don't need, oh, I could, uh, we I, don't need to I get imagine. You could tell me that you could tell me that offline. <laughs> um, but I mean, Vasilevsky is a product of the entire organization. So he is the shining light of, we can develop a goaltender. He just has to be a generational talent at the position. So, <laughs> but at the same point, we have to, we have to be reasonable here. Like Vasilevsky is the first goaltender at any point in the entire history of the lightning that has been homegrown, you know, mm-hmm. all the way throughout back when we started back in 92, 93, like we never had a good homegrown goaltender. We had possibilities that never panned out. We had to sign free agents or trade for guys to make things work. That's unless he's the first goaltender to be a full fledged homegrown product, both from like draft to his development back over in Russia. And then he came over here and played in the AHL and then he played in the NHL. So like, he's like the first real thing this organization has ever done right when it comes to goaltending. So hopefully that will like lead to more goaltenders we can develop. So one, we can use them for trade pieces later and also give Vasilevsky some freaking help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's 26 right now. He's still, his body's still in prime condition, but I mean, 30 is going to come up quick sooner rather than later. Yeah. Someone who is 36, I can confirm. I'm 32 and I can confirm. <laughs> is there anybody in the organization, whether it's any of the new draftees or, or in Syracuse or whatever, that you're kind of keeping an eye on as far as being possibly that next kind of homegrown talent that that will come through and make a splash with the lightning. And I mean, there's a variety of picks we can choose out of it. I mean, obviously you want to think Radish, Kachuk and Barry Boulay can do something. And those guys are as homegrown as they can be. I know Kachuk and Radish have been longer projects than we'd like, but I mean, their progression is clear in the AHL. Like it's clear how much better they've gotten. Um, but again, I, if like, if I want to go to somebody who has like really surprised me over the past two, three years and how they've de- developed in our system, it's Otto Sompi. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sompi 
I, you know, when Soppy didn't make AHL in his first go at it, I was kind of like, oh, he's probably just going to like wash out in the ECHL or so. But no, that dude worked his ass off in Orlando, worked his ass off, got back to Syracuse, and was actually a pretty damn good player for the crunch. And so I'm really hoping he can continue that progress to, you know, maybe he's knocking on the door. He might be, or he just might be a career AHLer. I don't know. But the fact that he's been able to bounce back after a little kind of a rough start in the org, at least, you know, getting sent down and stuff like that. I'm really hoping he, he you know, makes all any pay attention to him. All right, so we've been talking over the past couple of weeks on Locked on Lightning about, and, and any listener on my show knows how big of a fan I, I am of the players that come up from Syracuse and contribute big. Um, you know, we've had, we've had Cal Foote, we've had Nolan Foote here and there. We've had my favorite guy who unfortunately got dealt away uh, last week, and that was Mitchell Stevens. But, you know, there's a plethora of depth up there in Syracuse and here to break that all down with me. Today is the host of the Syracuse Crunch podcast from Field Pass Hockey, my colleague, uh, Alexandra Ackerman. What's up, Alex? How are we doing today? Glad to have uh, you on. Doing all right. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So the reason, obviously, we're having you on today's show is because, and this will, um, you know, maybe we'll pop this up on your show as well, but, you know, it, it's a little bit of an understatement to say, I guess, and that Syracuse has has their footprints all over these last two cup runs, not just because, you know, you have the veterans on this team who some of which have played in Syracuse themselves, but also because of the the, the new guys that, you know, Matthew Joseph, Mitchell Stevens, um, uh, you know, to, you know, just to name a few. We, we have a lot of guys on this team who have really contributed, who I think maybe some some of the general hockey fans really don't realize how big of a deal this is just for you know, the lightning, pers- lightning fan perspective, because if you really look at this, you know, yeah, you have the, the Hedmans and the Kucherovs and the Vasilevskis, of course, but after, you know, especially with the, the, the injuries here and there and the, just the weird Twilight Zone-like season we just had, we've, we've had a lot of guys come up and down. Um, and, and I guess I, would, I could throw it to you with this question is, were you at all surprised with the production that um, the young guns were bringing to the NHL level? No, honestly, I wasn't. I think that one of the things the Lightning has made very clear to the Crunch organization and especially the coaching staff is that they expect that when players get called up to the Lightning to either kind of hang out for however long they need them to just as potential backup or to jump into the games, that they need to be ready to go. And that's definitely a switch that I have seen with the lightning partnership from the two previous partnerships I observed, which was with Anaheim and with Columbus, that the lightning really places that emphasis on development. They give guys if they need it. And some players don't, you know, you, you mentioned Vavileski and Kucherov. And although they did spend some time in Syracuse, it was only, you know, a month total. If you'd look at all of the games a month or two, but they really place an emphasis on guys being ready to go when they get called up to the lightning and even with something as little as having the same uniform pants ready to go, like, yes, their Jersey and their off ice things all say crunch on them. But when they go up, the rest of their equipment is easily transferred out onto the lightning ice. And you can tell that those guys who have been kind of up and down they're they're it's almost a badge of honor because yeah. the rest of their uniform starts to look a little crummy and because of all the travel and everything that they go through. So I wasn't surprised at all, to be honest. Yeah, and, and you you brought up these guys are ready to go as soon as they get called up, and I think that was very evident with Ross Colton this year. I mean, Ross had a fantastic season uh, up at the NHL level, and, and I said at the start of the season that this was going to be a weird season. This isn't going to be a run-of-the-mill NHL season that we're all used to, uh, especially going into the season with Nikita Kucherov, uh, going to be out for until the playoffs. And then we had obviously the yearly uh, challenge of Steven Stamkos trying to stay healthy, which all things considered, 
he had a very good season. Um, you know, he missed some time down the stretch there. And then you have your veterans and, and other guys on the lower lines getting dinged up here and there. But, and, and I stated at the, the beginning of the season that let the young kids play, you know, one player that I really was dying to see on the ice was Alex Bear who in his limited time, I think really took strides because he was drafted fairly high a couple of seasons ago. And when you're drafted that high, there does come some pressure uh, to perform right away, especially at the NHL level. Uh, what did you see up in Syracuse uh, from ABB that really was transfer- transferable uh, to the NHL level? I think that um, Barry Boulay was that typical juniors player that really needed some time in the American Hockey League to get his game transferred over from juniors to the professional game. His two-way game definitely needed a lot, a lot of work. Um, you know, he, the lightning brought him in and he, he was really high in the QMJHL. He had lead league leading records. He had all kinds of different trophies and things that he won while he was with them. But one of the biggest things that we saw this past season in the American hockey league was these juniors players who got a chance to come into the AHL before they were 20, which I think. For players like ABB, if they had that particular opportunity to come into the professional ranks even earlier in their age group, I think that could be really beneficial because ABB really needed those couple of seasons with Coach Ben Grew and the other staff here in Syracuse to push himself to better his two-way game, to get better defensively. The Lightning really stresses that two-way game. They want, they don't want liabilities out there. They want players who can compete at that, at that high pace that the Lightning require. And they also want players who aren't going to screw up in the neutral zone because of that pace that the Lightning style of play demands. And so that was something ABB really worked on when he was in Syracuse. And I think that it was that skill in particular. He had the scoring. He had mm-hmm. the talent. He has great hockey IQ. He has the vision on the ice. He had to work on his two-way game. Mm-hmm. And he put that work in in order to do that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that's so key, especially to this team who, let's face it, isn't the best in the neutral zone. I, I They've made mistakes time and time again. You know, we, we could say that they're a great team, obviously because of these two back-to-back uh, Stanley Cup titles, but really when you look at it, they're not a very good neutral zone team, and that's where they got into trouble at certain points in the season. And yeah, absolutely, I have to agree with you that having ABB kind of fine-tune his game like that, uh, which you saw over the course of the season and at certain points uh, when he got very limited ice time, that he was he was doing a very good job on the back end. Um, he was in the right position at all times. And yeah, I have to agree that with, you know, the scoring is always going to be there. You know, there's there's players that that when they come up to the NHL, it's not that they're going to be struggling to score. It, it's they have to get in the in the swing of doing everything else right before they could, you know, throw some points up there. Um, another guy that I wanted to talk about that has had some time up in Syracuse as well. And we spoke a little bit about, I threw it your way, uh, because of, I, you know, my listeners know I got some friends, uh, in the know in the hockey world that Seattle was actually for a little bit playing with the idea of drafting Matthew Joseph over Yanni Gord. And I'm sure some of my listeners are, are, are punching the air right now because, you know, obviously Yanni Gord is a fan favorite. Uh, in Tampa, uh, that just shows how you know talented of a player he is. And, and really, what I'm going to ask you is, what have you seen from Matthew Joseph that has really taken his game to another level where you have an expansion team looking at this guy and actually playing around with the idea of taking him over probably one of the better players on this team and Yanni Gord? One of the things I think that Joseph really brings to his game and his career is just this, this positive attitude where he works really hard, no matter what's thrown at him, you know, when, during his first season in Syracuse, which was 2007, 18, he had uh, 53 assists in 70, or I'm sorry, 53 points in 70 games with the crunch. And he always worked really hard and he was able to go up to the lightning the following season. He played pretty much up just short of a full season with them, 26 points. 
the next season, it was clear that there was something going on. Either he wasn't able to get the minutes that he needed in order to keep his game up. I'm not exactly, no one's, you know, you're never quite sure what's happening behind the scenes with the player. Mm -hmm. So when he got sent down to Syracuse for part of the 2019-20 season, his game never slacked. We have seen in the American Hockey League, sometimes when players get sent down from the NHL, especially if it's after they've had like a season or two, they've had that NHL taste. They don't want to be back in the AHL. Generally, the fans don't take it personally until the player starts clearly kind of slacking off and not playing the game that they're capable of because they're in the AHL. And Joseph never showed that. Mm-hmm. He got his scoring back up. He had 21 assists in the 29 game or 20. I keep doing that. Sorry. 21 <laughs> points in the 29 games he played in Syracuse. So he was almost at a point per game level in that short time that he was with the crunch. And I think that it's that hardworking attitude that the lightning also really values. They want guys who understand that you have to earn it. You're not just going to get promoted because there's, you know, a slew of injuries and and they're just looking for bodies. That's not what the lightning is interested in. They want players who are going to earn it. And I think that Joseph is one of those players. And honestly, I think Yanni Gord was also one of those players. So I'm not surprised that those were kind of the two that uh, an organization that's trying to get their feet off the ground, like Seattle, were looking at because they need those hardworking players that aren't going to slack when things get tough and that can help them get started. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you brought up a great point in saying, you know, no matter what the circumstances were, whether he was at the NHL level or even up in Syracuse, he was still working hard. And that's something that is echoed from throughout the entire organization. I had uh, executive and former GM of the Lightning, Jay Feaster, on recently. And he said the same thing about Tyler Johnson, even though Tyler was up there for a cup of coffee just because the Lightning needed to stay under the cap for opening night. But, you know, that's the thing that you see from a lot of players on this team, whether they're a vet or they're somebody that's bouncing up and down, is that regardless of what's thrown your way, you know, keep working hard, keep going out there and do your job. And that's really what has really contributed a lot to the success that this team has had. And and one other player, and, and we'll get into Mitchell Stevens last because that is a very tough subject for, for people, especially me on this show, uh, his departure, because I thought he was a fantastic player that still had a little uh, left in, in the, the plans for the Lightning. But Ross Colton, Ross Colton has just been unbelievable from the minute he stepped on an NHL ice. Um, I, a lot of people knew he was going to be good. And, and I like to say that he is a, a defenseman in a forwards body uh, just because of the way he plays. And you saw that a little bit from, from Mitchell Stevens as well. What did you see from Ross that really took his game, took his game to a whole nother level, especially down the road and eventually scoring the game winning goal to, to win the cup. I had predicted that Colton was going to have a pretty big season at the start of the 2021 season, but I I have to be honest, that uh, game winner was not in my plans for him. (laughs) (laughs) So he definitely exceeded even my own high expectations. And it was funny because sometimes with these players, it, it ends up coming out in the wash that like I had my eye on them even longer than I thought I did because my colleagues over at raw charge were going through their top 25 under 25 rankings from, I don't remember if it was two summers ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had ranked Colton at like nine or something, which was higher than any of the other writers had ranked him. And I tend to do that with Syracuse players anyways, just because of, of viewing bias. These are the guys that I watch all the time. So I'm going to rank them higher just because I, I see them. But clearly there was something in Colton that was special right from the start. And when you even just look at his production with Syracuse and how much it it ramped up, you know, 14 goals, 17 assists in his first season with Syracuse. The next season he ended with 11 goals and 31 assists. And that was the season that was cut short by the COVID-19 pandemic. So he was on a roll. He would have exceeded those totals had he had that final month and a half of the season to play. And, you know, it took three games with Syracuse in 2021 before the Lightning called him up and, and that's where he stayed. 
So, you know, I think that he is, he's another hard worker, but I think you're, I think you're onto something when you mentioned the, the defenseman in a forwards body, because he is able to see the ice in a way that I think really benefits him. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's able to kind of view it from that other perspective that allows him to be at the right place at the right time to score goals like that one that ended up being the game winner for the Stanley cup. Yeah. And and you saw it on that goal, how poised he was. I don't know how many rookies, especially one in his position would have been able to, to tap that in um, nine times out of 10, just because, I mean, we've seen that shot how many times set up in a, in a Stanley cup finals or even in a playoff game. And the guy sails it into the boards that close in and, and just the poise that they have there poise that he had there in, in that situation was unbelievable. And, and really, I, I think he's going to be one of the, the, the big players on this team for years to come right now. He is projected to be on the third line. I would probably imagine by season then he's going to be playing on the second line with Stamkos and Klorin, just because I just think he's too good to keep on the third line. And then again, who knows, maybe we'll have a, a, a grind line uh, 2.0 with him, Sorelli and Joseph, uh, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, uh, really, within itself, just because, uh, you know, that that the third line uh, has really worked its magic over the last two years. And unfortunately, we've lost all three of those guys, uh, whether it's the cap difficulties or the expansion draft or free agency in Blake Coleman's uh, case. So I guess we, we can end things here with Mitchell Stevens. Now, I have spoken probably dating back to last season about how Mitchell Stevens is low key. One of the most, or was now that he's gone was one of the low key, most important players on this team, not only because of his ability to play in front of the net, but also to work along the boards and his really uncanny ability to win faceoffs. I, I mean, you know, I hate to see him go, but at the same time, you know, that's the nature of the business that we are dealing with. Uh, you know very well it, yourself. Uh, but how do you think this team's going to miss him at all? You know, obviously from a locker room standpoint, of course, probably. But just on the ice, I feel like you know this team has struggled with its faceoffs the last couple of seasons. But especially when you give a guy away like that to to the Detroit Red Wings, who by the way is ran by former Lightning GM Steve Yzerman, who I'm fully. I fully believe is is up to something and he's just going to slowly poach all these lightning players when he can get, because let's face it, he drafted most of these guys. So he knows what he's doing. Um, how, how much is this team going to miss uh, Mitchell Stevens on the ice going forward? If it wasn't for kind of, I've sort of nicknamed them the talented trio of ABB, Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish coming up behind the, in, you know, behind everything that the lightning had to do this summer, I do think that they would miss Mitchell Stevens, but I also think that there are players kind of that next man up situation that are Mm -hmm. waiting in the wing with similar game that are going to be able to step into his shoes. You know, Stevens was certainly someone who was special when he got to Syracuse, he played a couple of games in 15, 16, but then he, he was still in junior. So he went back to the OHL after that. And the next time he was with the crunch was actually during their run to the Calder cup finals in 2017. And he managed to get into three games in a pretty high pressure playoff situation. So right from the start, I think the organization recognized that this was a special kid that they could depend on in those kind of high pressure moments to help the team out and do what he needed to do on the ice. And I absolutely agree with you that faceoffs have been a huge problem pretty much from top bottom. And I definitely hope that that is something the team will, I don't know how they'll address it. You know, there, there aren't that many faceoff specialists out there. It seems like anymore, but I do think that that could be a key to the, to the team's success moving forward. And that if you're looking at it from that perspective, there's definitely a potential for a gap to be, to be seen there. Yeah. I, I, one of the biggest moments uh, two years ago when they played Dallas, I, it was game six and there were seconds left and the Dallas stars had the puck in their own zone with a face off. And John Cooper could have gone to a number of guys, a number of veterans in that key spot, because let's face it, the lightning were up uh, by a goal, but 
he puts out Mitchell Stevens and he wins, he wins the face off and, and, you know, the rest is history. And, and that shows how much trust they had in him at the time, especially, you know, being a new guy on the team, but, and you're right. There's a lot of players and this is a positive things that lightning fans should really look at given the circumstances of some players leaving and coach Cooper saying right after the cup finals, that this is the last time they're all going to be together, that, you have guys waiting in the wings who play a similar game. And we've seen it thus far this season. And over the last couple of seasons, you have Ross Colton, like we spoke about, Matthew Joseph, who those guys, especially Matthew Joseph, and I like to make the comparison with him that he's prime Carl Hagelin minus the speed. Now, Carl Hagelin, some people may not know, Carl Hagelin, his job, when especially when he played in New York, was to just – disrupt the the power play when he was on the PK you know most players would play back and and Joseph does the same thing they sit in front of the opposing team's net and wait for the puck carrier to come out from behind and you don't see that a lot but these players are such gifted skaters especially Joseph and and they have a great hockey sense to be able to do things like that and and there's players waiting in the wings as well that are able to do things such like that and there's players that they drafted recently uh that are we've seen flashes of that in junior that i'm excited once they put on a crunch uniform that we're gonna be able to see their game take up to another level um out of the 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 draft picks that you saw uh from the nhl draft who was probably your most favorite who you're you're really chomping at the bit to see put on a crunch uniform as soon as possible honestly the draft is not something I tend to pay too much <laughs> attention to just because it, it is a couple of years before we usually see these guys right. in the AHL, if they hit the AHL at all. Uh, so, I mean, I do know that maybe um, some of the defensive ones, you know, the defensive cupboard in the lightning organization has been a little shallow, yeah. <laughs> so guys like Roman Schmidt, I think is going to be really good, especially because he has that size, that kind of bulky defenseman that the lightning have tended to favor over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, I think that he'll be kind of exciting. I know there's been a lot of great chatter about Dylan Duke being mm -hmm. um, kind of a late round steal and the lightning has been really good historically at zooming in on those late round guys that no one else seems to pay much attention to, but they do, and they kind of mold them into players that can perform within the lightning system. So I think that those two guys are going to be ones that I'm going to kind of be keeping an eye on over the next couple of years as they age up and, and hopefully work their way into the Syracuse Crunch's roster. Yeah, you're absolutely right about Dylan Duke. I, I was sitting there watching the fourth round, and I, I still can't believe that Duke fell to them, considering how well he's played for the U.S. developmental team. Uh, just a, a player who's hockey savvy, who 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 knows where to be at all times, and and he 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 could score, <laughs> and and there's not a bad thing, especially with a team like this. Who let's face it, Kucherov, Stamkos, they're not going to be. I mean, especially Stamkos, they're not going to be around forever, and so it, it doesn't hurt to load up on on guys who could score. Uh, and we might see a repeat in a couple of years where we'll have scores from top to bottom like we've had the last couple of years. Um, from this crunch team, and then I'll let you go, um, from this crunch team, who do you see uh, from the current roster right now that you think is this is their season to take their next big step and possibly uh, get called up to Tampa and stay there? I think that kind of the guys that I just mentioned, the, mm -hmm. the Kachuks, the Radishes, the ABBs, those are definitely going to be your kind of next, next man up people that they're going to be looking at. There's really not anybody on defense necessarily that uh, I, I know that well. I think that it's been, like I said, the, the cupboard's really bare and yeah. You know, I'm not exactly sure on that side of things who might end up impressing enough to be able to to go up on up and stay up. But as far as the forwards go, I definitely think you're going to be looking at one of those three. You know, ABB has had, as you have said, a little bit of a chance to show what he can do. Radish and Kachuk are still kind of question marks as far as being able to transition their game 
but I think that they can do it. And I think that at this point in time, the AHL has kind of done all it can do for those players. And, you know, players do reach a point in their developmental process Mm -hmm. where they're just dominating at the AHL level. And there's only so much that they can work on down in that league, Mm -hmm. you know, and that they're really ready. And I honestly think, I think those three are ready. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see those guys at some point. Uh, barring a, a catastrophic injury to any players up on the NHL level. Uh, so you guys who are listening could all go ahead and check out her, her content on fieldpasshockey.com. Great Syracuse content coming out this season. Give her a follow on Twitter at FPH Crunch. Great things going on this coming season. And uh, also go listen to her podcast, Syracuse Speaks. It's It's fantastic. You're doing a great job over there. And can't wait to see how things shape up in Syracuse. And Alexandra, thank you for coming on. You are very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I think that will do it for this week's episode, so I want to thank you all so much for listening. I'm Alex Ackerman. I'm the host and creator of this podcast, and my social media is always open to anybody who wants to come follow me or wants to give any kind of feedback or ask questions. My personal Twitter is at Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O, and my hockey handle is over at Sinbin Crunch. I would also like to thank Kevin McLeod and Purple Planet Music for the royalty-free tracks that were heard throughout this podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful week or two until I see you again. Take care of each other out there in Crunchland, and I'll talk to you soon.